Welcome to IntelliCast, powered by Skip. Welcome to another episode of Skip IntelliCast, a podcast about strategy, intelligence, and leadership. I'm Cam Mackey with Skip, and today we'll be talking with Barry Dauber, Chrissy Holst, and John Bohannon of Primer. For those of you who don't know, Primer uses some pretty amazing ML and NLP technologies to help with a problem that all organizations are facing, big or small, making the best use of our investment in data. Welcome. Uh, So today we're going to kick it off first by talking to uh, Barry Dauber, who is VP of Commercial Sales. Barry, welcome. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and some of what you do at Primer? Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Cam, and really appreciate the opportunity to be here. So Primer, I run all commercial sales for us globally, and that's interacting with you know Fortune 500 customers from you know finance to healthcare to life sciences to pharmaceuticals to CPGs, aerospace and defense, you name it. We are after people and partnering with organizations that have large quantities of data. And I came to this space from a former you know management consulting strategy background where getting out of college, I realized that what I was really passionate about was helping customers and partners and organizations solve problems. And you know the, the big four and the big accounting firms and consulting companies really come after those types of people hard with that type of messaging. I was like, oh, this is you know lining of the stars. This is gonna be a perfect fit for me. I wanna go solve these complex problems. Uh, you know, long story short, I realized that you can solve a lot of problems in consulting, but ultimately where the industry was going over the last 20 years was around how do you solve problems with technology? So actually about a decade ago, I moved out west to, you know, the heart of it all to San Francisco to work at a small tech startup that worked very closely with national security, focused on how do you get ahead of all of this information affecting people? At the time then it was Twitter data, and it was national security during the Arab Spring. So you can make a lot of connections there of how we helped people, you know, understand complex problems and challenges. Fast forward to the work at Primer, it's, you know, the evolution of data and kind of big data in general and unstructured text data, meaning, you know, large quantities of just text, whether it's a Word document, a news article, or a patent or a product announcement, is how do you get your arms around all of this information and let somebody make a decision off of it. Humans aren't very good at calling all that content. They're good at making decisions off of content. So how do you surface that information that's important to them to help them make decisions off of that? And that's what we focus our time on. And that's why I'm so excited to be a primer and been here for four years is still solving those complex problems, but solving way more than we ever thought we could, you know, even five years ago. That's, that's great. So, I mean, quite a background, right? You know, management, consulting, to the Arab Spring to help in you know Fortune 500 companies with complex data problems. That's a that's a great journey, Barry. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, well, great. So next, we're going to welcome account executive Chrissy Holst to uh, Intellicast. Chrissy, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your journey to Primer and a little bit what you do for the organization? Yeah, absolutely. So. I'm an account executive here at Primer, but um, my background comes from national security. I am a former CIA counterterrorism analyst. Um, It's responsible for tracking global threats and communicating those to our nation's policymakers. And throughout my career as an analyst, I really struggled, as most analysts do, with sifting through just the enormous volumes of data that we need to handle on a daily basis, and then leveraging those to inform our nation's decisions. And I Um, had the opportunity to see how Primer was transforming um, the intelligence analysis space across industries and and now happy to be a part of that mission here at Primer. That's dynamite. That's so, so between uh, you and Barry, I need to buy both you guys drinks and uh, I'm sure you have some pretty amazing stories to tell. That's great. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, welcome last, but certainly not least, uh, John Bohannon, director of science for Primer. John, thanks so much for joining us. Hey there, Cam. Hey. Uh, so, Director of Science, that is uh, not a title I've seen before. So, maybe tell me a little bit about uh, what you do for Primer and uh, and how you got there. 
Yeah, it's a strange title for a strange person, I gotta admit. <laughs> um, so my journey with Primer, strangely enough, starts long before Primer existed. So Primer was founded by Sean Gorley. <clears throat> and uh, way back in 2002, I was uh, doing my PhD in the same place with Sean in England. And we lived in the same big house. And uh, so that's where my Primer journey really begins. Uh, after I, so I was a scientist like Sean. And when I, um, when I uh, finished my PhD, I wanted to take a break from, from science and try something new. So I actually um, did a, an internship in journalism just to try something. And I just fell in love with it. And I started just traveling the world as a foreign correspondent, uh, mostly covering technology, uh, health and the environment uh, and scientific research. And I then got sucked into the world of national security um, and back uh, collaborating and getting to know Sean via the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. So the both of us for different coming in from different angles were focused on uh, the problem of accurately counting casualties in conflicts and um, ideally making predictions about the risk of casualties that uh, policymakers can use. And so, um, you know, that was that was that our sort of second intersection. And then years later, I by by the time we reach, let's say, 2015, um, I had kind of drifted from journalism back into doing data science and was really like uh, essentially doing natural language processing in order to solve problems as a journalist, uh, doing investigative stories that involved very large corpuses of data, uh, either scraped from the web or generated by code. And um, so I ended up in uh, Berkeley, California, just across the bay from uh, Sean, who now had a startup called Primer. And he said, you know what? You really should just come over here. We, we've got a, tons of empty desks. Primer was very small by then. Uh, and uh, see what you think. And yeah, I was completely convinced. And the thing that really clinched it for me was the team, even though it was small back in 2015, had already solved so many really hard problems in natural language processing. I mean, just some really devilish problems that I, I just realized I could, I could maybe solve one of these myself, you know, if I worked really hard for a year or I could just join the team. And so I've never looked back. So it's been, it's been uh, ever since 2015, uh, ever since 2017, it actually took a, took a while for me to settle in in Berkeley and then actually get this opportunity. But ever since then, I've led the research side of Primer. So how do we get new kinds of machine learning technology from the world of academia and research into uh, practical applications that can find their way into products that actually solve problems for people out in the world? That's, so that's me. That's dynamite. And, and so it, it's interesting is, you know, reflecting back on what each of you has shared, it's you are quite the collection of Renaissance men and women. Um, you know, for, for, for those of you who've, uh, who are aware of Primer and kind of, you know, what some of the, you know, the offerings are, it's, it sounds like not a bunch of data geeks with, uh, with green visors. Apologies to all the data geeks out there. Um, now, you mentioned a couple terms there, John. I want to maybe just ask you to dig into a little bit more. Um, national, national language uh, processing, NLP. Yep. And also, uh, uh, there's a term I wasn't aware of until a few weeks ago, NLG or natural language generation. Um, yeah. You know, just maybe give us a little bit of a background of what they are and, and you know, why we're even talking about them. You bet. Well, um, the funny thing is, uh, over, the, over the last four years, um, Primer has kind of just by accident, just lucky happenstance, um, been on both sides of a massive revolution in this technology. So when Primer started, um, a lot of the stuff we do today, like natural language generation, was barely possible. It was just, it was so hard to do. I mean, we were so early to this game that we were building things that were just very future, like forward looking, like this is too hard to, you know, maybe even scale right now, but let's build it anyway. Let's hack, let's get it together. And, you know, just by hook or by crook, like we earned a place in the market because uh, we were really solving hard problems for analysts. Um, that's essentially the original customer, someone who's, you know, highly educated, very expensive, and has the word analyst somewhere in their job title. <laughs> you find these people <laughs> in the intelligence community, in sure. banking, in Fortune 500 com companies, 
These are people who do reading and writing for a living to power the most important decisions. And, um, you know, they it turns out they have problems that can be broken into smaller problems that can be automated. Uh, and they all have to do with reading and writing. But man, it was so hard before 2018. And almost overnight, just everything not only got a lot easier, at, and it worked, but it, it just suddenly became fun. I can tell you as someone who was writing this code and trying to solve these problems before the revolution and after. And um, by the way, the name of this language, this uh, revolution in natural language processing is called language models. Basically, we didn't have language models before, and now we have them. And man, it's the most powerful tool. So, so it, it sounds, you know, when you describe it, it, you know, it sounds kind of intuitive and simple. And you, you, you referenced, you know, that, you know, Primer was maybe a little bit ahead of the curve and some of the, you know, the technology not being there. Maybe just a little more context, though, you know, why are NLP and NLG so hard to do? Maybe some specifics about, about the yeah. challenges of them. Yeah. So l- let me give you a very concrete example of a task that you know we've solved really well which was really hard but now it just seems trivial you can take it for granted so let's say that you have documents you're an analyst and you need to read these documents but there's too many of them for you to read um, now this isn't a search problem right this is the the nlp that everyone absolutely all of your listeners right now you've all experienced is something called search yeah. you know you go to google you type in something and google shows you some docs so that's called search, and it's pretty, it's pretty much a solved problem. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's still innovations left to squeeze out, but it's hard to beat you know, what you can just use day-to-day with Google if you want to find docs. But let's say your problem is not finding docs, but actually answering questions. Like, who are all the people mentioned in these 10,000 docs? What are the organizations? Um, what are the locations that are being discussed? So, you know, the, the W's that journalists always have to answer, the who, the what, the where. Um, search isn't going to help you, right? There's no way you can just like search and somehow magically generate that spreadsheet of all that data. you got to read it. Or, and this is where natural language processing comes in, you could make a model that just knows what people, organizations, and locations are. And it just reads the documents And kind of like with a highlighter pen, it just says, oh, there's a location, that's a person, this is an organization. And it just basically like gets all that data out very, very quickly and puts it in a format that you can just browse and use and transform. So that used to be very, very hard. There were these models that kind of, kind of barely kind of, they, 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 uh, they kind of shambled along and they could get you at like maybe 60% accuracy. So imagine like spitting out a bunch of data where almost half of it is garbage. So it's like, that's pretty tough. And you have to, the way you deal with that is just tons of cleanup rules, the most tedious job imaginable. And it's very brittle code. So, you know, once you get it to work on one kind of, of text corpus, you move to another and it's all broken, you have to start over. And then suddenly almost overnight, we had this new tool called a language model that just knows how to read and training a language model to do the task of finding all the people, places, things, uh, turns out to be really, really much easier. And we're the best in the world at it, at least based on published um, performance numbers. And it's, um, it's basically one of these fundamental tasks. It's kind of like a Lego brick that you can build anything with because downstream of that, you can do all kinds of useful things when you identify all of the entities. Mm-hmm. So, so one thing that you know, I, I mentioned, John, that they really kind of struck me from, from the introductions here is that, you know, the three of you are, you know, fantastic at, at using data, right, to, to help drive decisions, whether it's in the national security context, you know, journalism, consulting, et cetera. Um, and, and each of you referenced that a lot of these data challenges, there's a, a significant human component. And so, you know, you've talked a little bit about some of the technical challenges and technological challenges that, that Primer uh, has, has helped overcome. What are some of the other, you know, maybe cultural issues, data governance issues? What are some of the other barriers towards, you know, machine learning or NLP adoption that you see coming up a lot? Hmm. Yeah, Barry, Chrissy, you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I'm. That, that's a great question, Cam, and happy to take that. I think there, there's a couple of them, and you know, Primer, and you know, the three of us all dabbling or coming from directly the national security space and primers no different, you know, 
people's sensitivity to the data that they work with is of the utmost importance to their organization. And as a result, as you can imagine, it's the utmost importance to any organizations or partners or vendors they work with. You know, same case for us at Primer. So it's being able to run, train, and build these applications on the data that's available. But how do you go deploy those applications where that data lives? So there's almost a data gravity story as we like to sell it. Okay, okay. You know, how do you deploy like a primer technology stack or another application where that data lives? So that intelligence analyst or that finance analyst or that, you know, CPG analyst who has very proprietary internal content is not letting that out of their four walls or their private cloud. Companies like Primer can go deploy on-premise or in that cloud to go make it so that data never leaves. That's a big challenge. But also, who touched what data and what data was that included in from a model perspective? You know, that's important for us to think about as well. And obviously, biases and models and things come up uh, to a great degree as well. So, so yeah, so maybe a follow-up there. So, so Barry, you, know, you talked about kind of, you know, the finance analyst or, you know, someone in CPG. Now, you know, I, I don't know about you. I mean, I feel pretty data conversant. You know, I'm comfortable with data. You know, I'm a rock star to Excel pivot tables, but, you know, most of us aren't data scientists. And so, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen done to make NLP more approachable for people who are, you know, wicked smart, but, but maybe not, you know, uh, uh, ML experts? Yeah, I think a lot of it is around democratization of NLP and you know, artificial intelligence in general. It's, again, making those models explainable. And, and I'll hand it over to John in a second, I think, to talk through about kind of eliminating the black box approach of kind of where these models go. But it's also for the non-data scientist, it's how do you have a user interface where you can go interact with that data, understand what it is, and then, you know, train or tag or make sense of that information. And how do you then go make that available in the applications where you already live, right? Companies like us, our goal is not to give you a 47th login, right? When I walk into financial services, large trading floors, you know, big football fields. Everybody already has five, six, seven monitors on their desk and, you know, non-COVID times. And as we're coming back now, we'll we'll see them again. But we don't want to make somebody have to have a seventh or eighth or sixth screen, right? How do you go embed those applications into the systems and workflows they're already using? Yeah, actually, we we saw a, a study done on that specifically around competitive intelligence software, where one of the biggest barriers towards adoption was if it's another login as opposed to just integrated with you know whatever whether it's a CRM system or something else. So that that uh, it's a great point, John. Uh, I think John, were you going to say something there on the you know yeah. making NLP more approachable? Yeah. So I think primer primer is doing its job best actually when um an excel jockey like yourself feels like this tech is really solving your problems and you don't have to worry about how to use it so that's that's kind of the that's the thing that we've set ourselves uh, up for as a mission is to bring this technology to you if you have to have a, a degree in data science to use our tech then we're, we're failing so you know integrating directly with Excel is one of the things we're actually working on right now. Like imagine you, you essentially have, uh, you know, the power of machine learning on tap to just populate cells in some spreadsheet that you yourself make. Um, that's, that's where we're going. That's, that's the future of this stuff. Just like spreadsheets transform the world of, you know, accounting and everything else that requires, you know, arithmetic, uh, natural language processing is going to transform analysis. Yeah, it's coming. So that's so th- that's a great point. Maybe I'll follow up on that, John. So so you know, you know we started talking about being surrounded by data. You know whether you want to go to McKinsey or Bain or BCG. You know whatever the stat is about how many teraflops of data are produced every day. But um, you know the reality is we're we're swimming. And so, yep. What what are some of the applications of NLP? Uh, and the wrinkles when you're looking at internal data, which, you know, my assumption is you can kind of control and hopefully have some taxonomy around it versus external data, you know, whether it's competitor news or other things, you know, what are some of the, the, the wrinkles and things to be aware of there? Well, 
you know, that's, that's the devil is always in the details when it comes to the data. So you can have a, you can have a beautiful system that works perfectly on, you know, the industry standard data. And as soon as you, the customer have something that's just a little bit different, uh, the danger is that brittle systems will break um, no matter, no matter how clever they are. So that's, that's where natural language processing actually shines. You have these machines that have learned uh, essentially how to read, you know, it's getting closer and closer to human level performance on the tasks that we measure. And, you know, it can, it can handle those, it can handle those bumps in the road. It can handle a, a new version of, of text, as long as it's written in English, for example. And if you're working in English, we work in multiple languages, but for example, if you're using models that were trained on English, ideally they just know how to deal with your text. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something that's very new and it really helps. Um, you know, things get a lot hairier when you're talking about access and privileges. So if you have, you know, a system that, you know, you've got documents on the high side, you've got this one computer over here that has all this part of your data. And then you have the low side computer over here, which is open source, you know, news and the, the twixt, you know, never shall meet, then <laughs> you got a problem. You need to have a, an integrated platform, but that's a, that's a whole nother question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a whole nother level. Well, and, and maybe kind of uh, just circling back on that issue that we talked about a moment ago, John, about the barriers to adoption. You yeah, know, it, I had a thought on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, take it well, away. So there's so many ways that um, an AI system can fail, to be frank. And some of those are technical. You know, it could be just like bare bones software problems or data problems. It could also be the model itself. It's just not clever enough for the task you need to solve. Or maybe it's not the right task. You know, it's actually been misdesigned for this use case. But then it keeps going from there. You can have points of failure uh, between the customer interacting with the machine. You can have points of failure where essentially the output of the machine is is not integrated correctly. You know, it's like the the data is in the wrong format, or it's confusing the way it's been. You know, the UI, the UX is basically broken. So that's the problem with AI these days. Is there's so many points of failure. You need an end-to-end solution and it, you need to take care along every one of those steps. So one of the steps that is a, is a real new problem, it's often called the black box problem. So you have this AI system, let's say that it works, it does great, but you don't know why. So let's say for example, it's classifying documents, right? You've got this stream of documents intelligent intelligence analysts often call that their traffic. So you come in in the morning and you uh, start reading through your traffic. You you just got this tsunami of documents. There's no way you can read them all. And so you're relying on this artificial intelligence system to put them in buckets. You know, you've got five buckets that you've, you've decided are the important buckets and you trust this thing to put docs in the right bucket. And uh, you know, your, your day depends on it. This is really important. You can have a black box problem when, a document gets classified and you have no idea why the model made that decision. Um, you know, if you have to read the document yeah. to trust the machine, then the machine hasn't done you any good. Yeah. You know, it hasn't saved you any time at all. And so you have to trust these things. So how do you do that? How do you unblack box them? So we've been working on a whole bunch of methods to do that. One is we actually figured out how to get a machine learning model to show you what it is in a document that supported its decision. We call it saliency. And so, you know, you, you, you get a document and it's been classified in a certain way. You can say, why, why did you classify it that way? And it will actually take a highlighter pen and show you the parts of the text that were most important for this decision. And it's, it's kind of uncanny how helpful that is to build trust and get an insight on what it is, especially when the machine makes a mistake. So when, when the machine misclassifies something, it's really helpful to, to take a look, you know, show me your homework. Yeah. Why did you, why did you think that this document was there? And then you have this virtuous loop and that's kind of where primer is different in this landscape is that we have this full end to end system that you can basically get yourself into like a cockpit. So a customer doesn't have to just take on faith that, you know, our system works exactly, you know, as needed on their data they can actually retrain these models. They can test them. They can, you know, feed them new data. It's theirs to work with and nurture. And so that's how you build trust is you make it theirs. So you give them the tools to see how these things make their decisions and you make it super easy 
for them to actually fine tune it. It's like, oh, and actually, no, you made a mistake and I, I want you to not make that mistake again. So here's a little bit of training data. I'm gonna do, sit down for a little bit and teach you, done. You don't have to worry about that anymore. You also want to track the performance of these things on your docs. So, you know, let's say you had those five buckets for a classifier and that's really important. Um, you wanna track its performance on that. And so we make it really easy for you to continuously uh, test your model and see how it's actually doing and you know, make sure it doesn't drift away uh, from, from its performance you know, just like six months ago. Right. I, I love, John, that whole concept of the, you know, the black box. And, and you know, as you know, our audience is uh, very, uh, very well represented by the competitive strategy and intelligence profession. And you know, sometimes they get criticized as being a little bit of a black box function where you know, they're working with enormous amount of data in some cases, you know, next to no data, and, and they uh, got to do analysis and draw conclusions. And oftentimes, um, you know, they don't want to kind of share the secret sauce in, internally or how they came to their conclusions. And, you know, they've found that having discussions about how they came to their conclusions, so kind of, you know, the saliency that you mentioned a moment ago with Primer can, can have some of the most valuable discussions because it's the, you know, why are you drawing this conclusion? Um, Chrissy, you know, I'd love your thoughts, you know, you know, having that awesome background, um, you know, using intelligence to drive high stakes decisions, you know, doing that, you know, in the national security context, um, you know, in some senses, competitive intelligence shares a lot with national security. We're dealing with tons of data, bringing a lot of analysis to bear and helping to, whether it's, you know, reduce risk, sometimes it's, you know, grow an organization. How do you see the application for some of what John and Barry have talked about for strategy and competitive intelligence? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Cam. Um, well, yeah, coming from a background in national security, a lot of the challenges I've faced are very relatable to those that you guys are describing with, mm -hmm. um, you know, my career hinges and hinged on the ability to swiftly and comprehensively dig through enormous volumes of data and then to inform some of our nation's most important security decisions using that data, a lot of which is unstructured, messy, buried in different databases, and um, just frankly hard to get at. I, um, I joined the intelligence community at the very beginning of the rise of ISIS, and terrorism had truly globalized uh, at that point, was becoming increasingly transnational in nature, and was moving and changing swiftly, and being on top of these trends and developments was um, beyond important. Um, the volume of the data pouring in daily was nearly incomprehensible and also just difficult to wrap our arms around. Um, to give you an idea of this, every morning I would start my day, I'd get my cup of coffee, I would sit down at my desk and I'd log onto my computer and spend the first two to three hours and more sometimes just reading through these reports, hand curating highlights and summaries, trying to pull at threads and understand what was going on, what are the key threats and developments at hand. Mm -hmm. And then not until the late morning would I have a moment to start thinking about uh, what are we going to do about it? I was collecting the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, as John mentioned earlier, um, that we have to answer before we can focus on what are we going to do about it. And a lot of the exciting part about AI machine learning and specifically natural language processing right now is how this is gonna impact these analyst workflows. Um, it's gonna undoubtedly transform over the next decade of intelligence analysis, um, whether that be in security or um, the business perspective on this. Um, reports that once took me hours to pull together can now be generated in a matter of minutes because I can access it now. Those natural language processing algorithms are on my side and equipping me with what I need to to um, have in order to get at those key insights. Um, encoding, as John had mentioned, encoding analyst knowledge into the machines and then deploying those at scale is incredibly exciting for the future of analyst workflows across industries. This is gonna ultimately, what it means is free up analyst time to allow humans to do what we uniquely do best, making strategic decisions by leveraging the data at our fingertips to make smarter decisions at scale and with speed. Um, Primer does this in a couple of interesting ways beyond build, building the algorithms or engines that are put to work to really understand language and then surface those key insights and make it accessible to analysts. They also have put those engines to work in various platforms. 
Um, one of them is Primer Analyze, which is this incredible tool where you, um, you can go in and search on millions of documents at one time and pull down key insights. Who's involved? What are the timelines? How'd we get here? Um, where is uh, an event or, or, or um, a group changing and, and what, is, what is the broader landscape in national security related to one particular group or person? There's all kinds of interesting insights um, that are used on, we like to call it knowledge graph that's generated in real time, um, where you can now have access to all of those documents and surface those key insights with a fraction of the lift on time required that was re was required on a daily basis in my career. So it, it's a really, really exciting time um, for AI and, and for intelligence analysis across industries because unleashing these technologies is gonna change our way that we get to make decisions and we get to do it at scale and with speed, which is, which is, um, which is really exciting. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you raised a lot of fascinating points there, Chrissy. You know, one that really resonated was about um, just kind of how, you know, asymmetrical everything is. You know, it's no longer, uh, you know, risks, for example, are no longer just a few known quantities, you know, whether it's at the, you know, corporate landscape or in the national security landscape that it's, uh, you know, things change and often there are these, in the corporate context, non-traditional competitors that can emerge um, you know, how does MLP, NLP help with challenges like that, where it's not, you know, you're not simply monitoring a known set of competitors, for example, but where, where you're, um, you know, you could be surprised or blindsided at any moment. Is that the type of competitive environment where NLP can actually help? Yeah, absolutely. I think where you, you get those key insights is not just what you already know and then seeing it mapped for you, but it will show you a lot of the emerging trends that you would have otherwise missed. Mm -hmm. For example, if every single day I know that I'm gonna log onto my computer and run a bunch of searches against already kind of bucketed swaths of data, but it's limited by my creativity and the search terms that I'm searching on, if there is a knowledge graph that starts to say, hey, person A is talking to person B a lot more than we've ever seen before. Yeah. And we're going to surface that for you and say, hey, you might want to look at person B or, hey, this group, we're seeing travel all of a sudden happen to a different part of the world that we've never seen before. All of a sudden, that country is going to pop as a key insight that otherwise I might have missed if I were having, we call this like confirmation bias, or yeah. I'm already looking at something through right. the lens of my own knowledge base. And what is happening is now I have uh, these tools at my disposal that are going to say, hey, Christy, look over here. There's something that's starting to emerge. And this story is important for you to track and follow. We're not telling you what to do with it. And we're not telling you how it fits into the broader context. That's for the human to decide. But we're making sure you don't miss it get a comprehensive understanding of on the ground situational awareness and do it with speed, which is really, really powerful. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe a follow-up question here, Chrissy, one thing that in the CI community, it, you know, we're focused a lot on is just as data proliferates, you know, internal data, external data, um, you know, I've, we all get that we need to shrink the amount of time that we spend on collection and, and cataloging because, if, if we let it, you know, we'd be nothing but, but you know, data collectors. Um, do, do you see in, in your, you know, world primer now as an account executive, do you see kind of a, uh, the fire in the bellies for organizations to, to really free up analyst time so they can spend more time on actual analysis and communication? Do, do you see that urgency out there? Oh my gosh, so much so, Cam. It's, right. It is pretty much universal. Everybody is struggling with this issue. How do I separate the signal from the noise? How do I see through and understand what to do with all of this data? The good thing if we're being optimists is, hey, we've got tons of data to sift through, meaning that there's all these insights out there that we can get at. The negative part of that is making sure we have the tools at hand, because if we don't, the consequences can be great because we can miss something or we, we, can, we can just not hear it and see it. So um, yeah, talking to all kinds of folks across industries, no matter what kind of data problem they're trying to tackle in the unstructured data space, particularly around language. Uh, 
everybody is pretty much universally screaming for an opportunity to leverage these kinds of tools so they can focus on that higher order thinking and um, free up not just their time, but their mental capacity to to get away from um, these kind of manual tasks that don't need to occupy their workflows. It just doesn't need to be done that way anymore. And we can make um, make smarter use of our time leveraging these types of tools. So, so, uh, so that you don't have to spend the first three hours of every single day, you know, just reading and taking notes. That's uh, that was a great anecdote. <laughs> I wish it wasn't so true, yeah. and I wish that it, I wish that it wasn't viscerally felt so much um, still by by a lot of folks who don't have these tools at their disposal. So it, it's exciting. Looking forward to the future, though. I think it's really going to be transformative the years to come. Excellent. So Barry, we are going to pass the uh, data overload hot potato over to you. Um, you know, so we, we talked to John a little bit about, you know, setting the stage for, you know, what is NLP? Why should we care? You know, what are some of the barriers? Chrissy did a great job talking about some of the applications specifically for intelligence analysts. Um, you, know, you know, Barry, you got that great background from, from management consulting. So every part of a business is obviously overwhelmed with data right now. What are some of the really innovative or, or frankly, just cool use cases that you're seeing of NLP that uh, that you can share? Yeah, definitely. And, and thanks for that, Kim. Thanks to my colleagues, too, for painting great pictures. And just to take it one step further, because uh, I know we talk about a bunch of buzzwords in our world and unstructured text data can be confusing at times. But just think about a world where you're a competitive intelligence professional and you're able to read at scale, basically every one of your competitors, and maybe it's not even the ones you know about, as Chrissy said, you know, there's new upstarts. Using NER, named entity recognition, our systems combing through all that information can automatically extract that organization that you didn't even know existed and can surface that information, say, hey, here's a new company that might've just emerged that you should be paying attention to. But imagine doing this against you know, patents, product announcements, press releases, you know, depending on your industry, their FDA or SEC filings, you know, research coming out from the research universities or from your competitors themselves, you know, put out in the public domain, you know, news, social. Going back to what Chrissy and John were saying, you're coming in every morning and systems like Primer are reading all of that content for you and making that available. So how are you using systems like this to basically unlock all of that unstructured data that you would never have been able to have access to, you know, outside of a system reading and writing that content for you? So an interesting use case that we see fairly often, you know, SEC filings, everybody looks through those regardless of the industry. Uh, You just want to see across all of your competitors, you know, competitive risks against a certain country. You know, for sake of argument, let's let's say China, right? That, that's obviously one on the, the forefront of what we're all paying attention to today. You know, going back to Chrissy's point, just reading one 10K probably will take 30, 45 minutes. Yep. But you're now reading 10Ks across maybe the last decade and not just the last decade for that one company, but you're doing it the last decade for those 10 or 20 companies that you're paying attention to. Mm-hmm. How can you start to pay attention to all that information and see how those risks change from maybe... China to another country in the future or from other countries in the past to those organizations or those uh, countries that might be of interest uh, for you to be paying attention to. You know, what are your subsidiaries doing? What are your competitors doing in those regions? Just again, really being able to read at scale, which allows you to focus on other things, right? Like maybe there's new business models that you're able to unlock or you're able to transform how you're thinking about doing these things. But how do you put that power back into the hands of the analysts and those decision makers to be able to go make those decisions. Again, going back to what I said earlier, how do you start to democratize this data to put it into the hands of somebody who can go make a decision off of it? Yeah. So, so I love the whole notion of, you know, democratizing data. Um, so, you know, with that though, you know, companies, you know, organizations of any size, you know, they, they need to have dialogues around how they create, use, store, categorize, you know, data, probably 20 verbs I'm forgetting. Um, so, you know, so for organizations at any point in this journey, especially maybe 
ones buried kind of earlier on, how do they get their house in order to use NLP? Um, because, because you know, some of the comments that John made earlier, you know, uh, I think said that that you know that there are some barriers uh, uh, towards getting the value. So, what are some of the recommendations you have, Barry, for companies to get the the greatest value? And what should you do before implementing, for example? I think a big thing is you know pointing where that data is, right? And what is the ultimate business goal? Is it to make decisions? Is it to stay on top of competitors? Is it to you know, find persons of interest? Is it to, you know, invest in new areas that you wouldn't have been able to invest in before? Mm -hmm. And then it's, what is all that institutional knowledge that we have as an organization? And how do we come to decisions off of that, right? Because both the organizations we work with, as well as the competitors to those organizations, some of which we might work with as well, you know, they're all looking for the most part at the same information, especially from an external perspective, but how do you start to utilize your internal data as well as external data? But then as I think Chrissy mentioned, how do you start to encode that knowledge into the data? So a big thing to start with as well is how do you start to define what those judgments or kind of that internal IP is to be able to encode those models, to be able to surface that information that's unique to you know, one CPG versus another? Yeah. Interesting. So, so maybe if I, if I could ask maybe for another use case, because, you know, the, you know, our audience, you know, you hit it right on the head with, you know, uh, patent filings, SEC filings, et cetera, but, you know, there are other parts of the business, you know, whether it's compliance, risk avoidance, OPEX, um, you know, revenue generation, what are a couple other exciting applications of NLP uh, that you'd want to talk about? Oh, I've got one. Um, John, so, do it. Yeah, yeah. So, one of the let's see where to where to attack this. One of the one of the common denominator problems that um, customers have mm-hmm. is not just that they they have a, a a task, you know, some reading or writing task, very repetitive, often very simple drudgery uh, that they want to automate. Um, that's a, that's a lot of it. And we help a ton with that. You know, we, we make your analysts more efficient. We free them so that we can, you know, free them to, to do more valuable things. But there's another side to this, which is make it, make something possible that is simply impossible. That's where things get really exciting. Um, so once, once you've kind of crossed that barrier as an organization to having AI at home, so, you know, you, you have these tools, you know how to use them, um, you know, at least to do automation of simple tasks. The next step is to scale it. And when you scale it, you start to unlock things that like you just hadn't even considered as something worth trying because it just seemed impossible. So an example of that, this is, this is one of the, my current favorite thing at Primer, uh, I'll share with you. Uh, we have a, it's actually not just one machine learning model, it's a complicated stack of them. They all work in, in coordinated fashion. We call that um, disputed information. And um, that's just the internal name of this thing. What you can do is answer the following question. Um, what is everyone fighting about? <laughs> what I mean, and what I mean by that is like, like, what are the facts that people are fighting about? What are the controversies that people are arguing with each other about? And um, it's a pretty complicated series of models that figures that out, but we got that. And what becomes amazing is when you scale that out, for example, we've applied that to all of the world's you know, news. Um, suddenly you can ask questions like, what are the major disputes in the South China Sea over the past month? Um, what are the disputes uh, involving, uh, I don't know, Philippine, um, the Philippine president? Uh, over the past month. Um, you, you know, my favorite query is actually Cardi B. Cardi B is <laughs> involved <laughs> with some of the most Baroque controversies out there. It's just so rich. Yeah. My, uh, my, like, my daughters are actually in love with every time she gets a pedicure and, and you know, yeah. So, okay. So <laughs> Cardi B is like the perfect uh, uh, example, John. I can imagine yeah. how it's controversial. Love it. I got to tell you though, like tracking Cardi B 
is, uh-huh. is really similar to um, one of the traditional intelligence tasks of leadership profiling. You know, you've got some person uh, who's involved with a whole bunch of stuff and you have to keep track of that. Someone, yep. someone has this tire, tiresome job of keeping track of everything. And, um, you know, thank goodness we, we are starting to have machines that can do this for you. So like whether it's Cardi B or the president of uh, the Philippines, you know, you have the same problem. <laughs> they, they, they have very complicated lives playing out in public and yep. they have huge consequences. I tell you, Cardi B makes a decision and, you know, stuff moves. The market moves. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear about it at the dinner table. Yeah. So, so yeah, if, uh, it, it's a, it's a well-made point. Um, th- th- that's great. I, I guess, um, you know, you know, the, the kind of the place I'd like to land us here is, is the, you know, the, we have this great little phrase in, uh, in competitive intelligence, you know, what's, it's the what and the so what and the now what. And so, um, you know, I think three of you have done a fantastic job walking us through, uh, you know, NLP's what and, and the so what. And so maybe a little bit of, of now what. And so I'm always a, a fan of, you know, what can our listeners think or do differently? Um, immediately, you know, you know, I think you've done a great job, you know, John, Barry and Chrissy talking about that, you know, these are enormous challenges and problems um, where NLP can add value, but there also is organizational work that needs to be done before just, you know, hitting, hitting the on switch. And so in the spirit though, that, you know, organizations do have the recognition of a need and the enthusiasm to, to embrace NLP, be, uh, Chrissy, I'll pick on, on you first, if I may. What, um, whether it's a type of project to start off with NLP or, or you know, otherwise, you know, what's a good place to start uh, as a next step here, um, especially for CI professionals? Yeah, absolutely. So one kind of exciting thing that's happening at Primer right now is what would have used to take whole swaths of data scientists to build algorithms to do the kind of um, technological tasks we're talking about today um, is now available in out-of-the-box solutions. You can go and access that by purchasing, literally purchasing algorithms that you can go put to work um, against your own data sets and then absolutely transform the way that your workflows work. And this is called Primer Engines and Primer Automate. You can do training your own data uh, or training the algorithms on your own data, teaching it. We talked about, um, you know, going and encoding your analyst knowledge on into the machines. This is now possible without whole teams of data scientists to make it happen. And, uh, democratizing the access to this is one of the core missions at Primer is to allow companies um, to advance their mission and advance their goals and work smarter with access to these kinds of tools without needing uh, the the previously what would be required for resources to make that even possible. So um, that's one of the areas where Primer is really priding itself on being an industry leader is providing kind of access to that world of AI where it's never been possible before. That's crazy. So, so we might not be at the point where I can open like the primer app and like, you know, have like a, like the Uberized version of primer, but you, you can't actually buy algorithms. That, that is crazy, Chrissy. Thank you. Yeah. There's, there's maybe one other piece to that too, that I yeah. wanted to mention It's there's, there's the algorithms you can buy and then you could buy the, the opportunity to code those yourself. Um, in regard without using code. So you can train them using okay. um, what we call automate. And then there's also platforms that we built where we go and we put those engines or those algorithms to work and unleash it against data like news data or social media data, or you can pump in your own data and then see it on a dashboard that we've created. Um, these have been designed specifically out of a national security background, but they really do kind of apply across industries. Examples of this is called Primer Analyze or or Primer Command, or um, there's other iterations of what this could look like, but there's exciting applications of those algorithms put to work that are also out of the box. I'll just just mention, I don't know, John or Barry, if you want to add anything there, but um, that's what comes to mind first for me. 
Yeah, I, I th- this is the newest. This is this is real news for you. Uh, you heard it here first. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've spent years building these AI systems for you know the intelligence community and Fortune 500 companies, and really just months ago, Sean was like, "Hey, let's 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 just put it out there. Let anyone just slide a credit card and just use it themselves." So we just launched that, and uh, yeah, it's a big step for us. You know, it's it's not just secret tools for secret people anymore. You yeah. can use it too. That's dynamite. And so and so, yeah, John. Kind of in from your perspective for the for the quick win, how to do the toe in the water. Sounds like that that the swiping the credit card and it was uh, engines. You said that's the way to go. Yeah. So if you just look for Primer Engines or Primer Automate, mm-hmm. uh, you end up in the same place. And we have a free trial uh, period that we're just kicking off with lots of companies right now. And it's just, it's fun. I mean, people are bringing their own problems to solve and it's just lovely, you know? Love it. Barry, how about you? Want to wrap us up with any thoughts on uh, what to do now for our listeners? Yeah, I I think my colleagues, you know, John, we we might need to bring you onto the sales team. Um, Those are some (laughs) great quotes that I'm definitely going to use in front of some of our, you know, customers and prospects as we're talking to them. But I think the... The big thing is, you know, AI, machine learning, NLP, bunch of acronyms, they're not scary, right? There's organizations like Primer. We cut our teeth on this. We've developed these amazing algorithms that do amazing things, but they're not scary and necessarily hard to use, right? They're not hard to use at all in our minds. And it's figuring out what are those, you know, crawl, walk, run tasks that you can go after. From a crawl perspective, just throw out an example, you know, you're mining all of the information related to your competitors. That takes a lot of time just to figure out, hey, this is related to A, this is related to B, this is related to C. Imagine a world where, you know, you know that all the content over here is related to product launch is all this content is related to mergers and acquisition. And maybe this is related to legal activity. You know, you're no longer necessarily having to just respond to fire drills because you know that information is already categorized in a way it needs to be. So how do you just go find, you know, that new M&A activity that, you know, Cardi B just bought some company. (laughs) How how do you go bring that out and go say, hey, wow, our competitor is now doing this and Cardi B just bought them, right? Like, how do you stay on top of all that information in seconds while you're drinking your morning coffee? You know, getting started with easy things like that and then starting to integrate this into, you know, much more complex workflows. And again, that's where the primer engines and automate really come into play. Love it. Well, Barry, Chrissy, John, thanks so much for joining us, guys. That that could have been an alphabet soup of technical acronyms, but I think you really uh, made it a fun conversation about uh, data, about NLP, and also about Cardi B. So, John, big uh, a big shout out for you weaving Cardi B in the discussion there. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Well, it's been really exciting to hear about the art of the possible with NLP and also about some of the challenges that y'all are working to solve every day, and especially this idea of democratizing NLP. Um, Really excited about the applications to all types of organizations as that scales up. Make sure to visit primer.ai to learn more. And for best practices, training, and resources on CI, visit skip.org. Thanks again for listening to Skip Intellicast.